This is Supply Chain Radio. I'm Matt Gunn, joined today by Richard Barnett, Vice President of Industry Solutions here at GT Nexus. Hello, Richard. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for joining me today. I'd like to talk a little bit about automotive logistics. So the automotive industry, it is massive, it is global, and automakers continue to expand and find new markets and new ways to sell new cars. So let's take a step back here from the buyer perspective Mm -hmm. first. So I'm a consumer. I've spent a little bit of time recently researching cars, going to dealers and seeing what they have. And I think one of the things that struck me is the experience is basically the same as it was five years ago, 10 years ago, at any point in my life that I remember. Meanwhile, the world has kind of changed. Right. You go into any retailer, the experience is different. The customer is very much at the center. When you're at an automotive dealership, sometimes you just feel like they've got their limited inventory, take what they have in whatever color they have, mm-hmm. or you can try to find particular options, but that might take weeks or months to get, right. whether they have to build it or ship it from somewhere else in the world. Why is it that we still feel like the experience is a little bit backwards? I think it's a great question, and I think it's a great entry into the much broader what's happening in general behind the curtain, so to speak, within global what they call forward vehicle logistics or finished vehicle logistics in the automotive industry. So I'm with you. I mean, I've gone back and forth buying cars last few years, and really the experience has not changed a whole lot. I think some of the car brands, manufacturers have improved on some level of option, configuration, choice, bundling in a way that allows them to match certain car buyers' needs or interests in a fairly simpler, more segmented way. So they kind of know that there's like three, there's a basic, maybe a more advanced and a premium sort of version of options, for example. And you'll find that more common, I think, in the last 10 years. And they're using those categories to forecast some of the finish out that they know, because they've got kind of a percentage of attach rate in certain markets of how many people elect to sort of buy the luxury version versus the standard version. And you're seeing a little bit of improvement, I think, around capturing that pattern of demand and sort of building to stock what they think is some percentage of the overall market. So we're looking at sort of the concept of mass customization, where you're building out models that have some feature changes and adjustments based on what a customer might want. Right. But you look at other markets, say Germany, mm-hmm. almost every car sold there is customized to the buyer's needs. That must take a toll on a manufacturer. Well, it does. And it's an interesting tale of two cities to a large degree because it's really the European versus the North American markets that have created this kind of pattern of two different ways to fulfill customers' needs. The reason why Europe broadly speaking, there's both dedicated and a ton of independent dealers, is that they have very limited or very expensive floor space. They don't have the actual space to carry 150, 300 cars on the back lot in a lot of the urban centers, and they're restricted sometimes from using space in that way. So early on in Europe, particularly in Germany, the Nordics, and uh, the UK, you very quickly had a model where you'd look at maybe one or two showroom examples in the model line that you like, and then you're actually every time sort of buying a custom order. That worked really well in Europe for European car manufacturers because their plants weren't that far from kind of meeting the customer delivery expectations. And the lines were set up in a way that would allow for sort of final in-sequence changes for some of those options or build-outs relatively easy. They would create a scheduling process for the manufacturer, the final assembly facilities that would have that flexibility built in. In North America, you've had a different model and a different experience. So you had 
dedicated dealers as well as independent dealers, their incentive was to carry as much inventory as possible to kind of capture all flavors of demand. The consumer expectation was instant gratification. You know, you wanted to go in, close the deal, and drive off with your new vehicle, right, and have that experience. And so you have this kind of different consumer market expectation as well between broadly those two models. Because, you know, in the U.S., you feel like you maybe wouldn't close on that deal because you have a lot of competition across dealers. And so if you can find the sort of close to what you want at another dealer that's maybe only 30 miles down the road, you won't wait to order from that dealer. You'll just go down the road and pick it up. And because of that level of competition, you see this kind of big build to forecast, push a ton of inventory, highly inefficient from just a supply chain perspective, where you've got somewhere on the order of $800 billion to a $1 trillion worth of light vehicle, finished vehicles sitting on lots as finished good inventory, right? From a supply chain perspective, it's incredibly inefficient. That's staggering to think about how much automotive stock, finished vehicles, are just taking up space in a lot somewhere. And so the customer, the individual experience is only part of the story, right? So we've got the individual customer who may go and find the right car locally that has options that they want. Mm -hmm. You know, a little bit of a more demanding customer that wants a car built for them or that they feel fits every need that they've got. But then there's the story of fleet vehicles. When you think about these different profiles, Mm -hmm. there must be millions of cars in motion at any given time. And the footprint of these manufacturers is changing as well. It is. It's not just a car built in Detroit. Right. Parts of cars are moving around and they're being assembled all over the world. So from a logistics perspective, getting these cars to the different markets, how big of a task is that? And is that also introducing big inefficiencies to automotive industry? That's what I was kind of saying behind the scenes. If you look at the level of complexity and what's happening in just the last, I would say, seven to eight years, it's pretty fascinating. So what are the kind of different dynamics there? One is that you have where final vehicles are being made, not serving just the local market, right? So you have production capacity shifting and developing and and closing down in some cases in certain markets, like in Russia, for example, but new finished vehicle plants are popping up everywhere in Asia, in Eastern Europe, for example, in Latin America. And what that means is that you don't have just this sort of local market manufacturing for local market consumption. You have a lot of international trade in finished vehicles and also suppliers to those manufacturing plants as well because it's increasingly become globalized. The other thing you're seeing is dramatic shifts in where growth and market sort of growth has been sustained. Because of the economic crisis that we saw in 2007, 2008, we obviously know the story around what happened with the U.S. car makers. And generally, they recovered in an incredibly fast period of time. But what's hard to see is how that's played out on a global market basis. So growth in China has been significant. I mean, I think it's a 350% growth over the last 10 years. But recently, China market has slowed down. Russia, the BRICS traditionally, outside of India, Russia and Brazil, for example, are now going through a massive economic contraction. GDP growth is falling at 4.5% in Brazil alone. And so every time you see a big macroeconomic swing in consumer demand, in those target markets, what the OEMs are having to do is to rationalize where can they balance their capacity and have more flexibility. You know, it's a big asset to build a new plant or to refurbish a plant to make it more efficient. And so they need more agility and flexibility across their outbound finished vehicle networks. And and that, unfortunately, is a business area that for years has just been all about cost reduction. 
and just beating up the logistics partners and vendors. And so what that's translated to, I think, is an interesting moment where the outbound network for finished vehicles has never been more complex, has never required more investment in, in new capabilities, right, to make sure that you're tracking the vehicles wherever they are, understanding how to reroute maybe vehicles that are in outbound flows from one country to another country into the local dealer market, for example. Dynamic sort of rebalancing is now really critical, but it's a market where the OEMs have beaten up on the logistics providers to the point where they've squeezed all the margins out of them, and they themselves have not made infrastructure investments in rail lines, for example, for rail cars, or for investing in new technologies to enable their trucks to be more efficient. Traceability has been a big issue. And there's only 15% of trucks that use for hauling finished vehicles use telematics. It's one of the biggest ironies in the industry. So while the vehicles they're actually carrying have some of the most advanced telematics ever brought to market, right? We've got different online services. We now have Wi-Fi in vehicles, right? Every one of those cars has probably automatic tire pressure monitoring, right? In the vehicles, the trucks and the trailers that are hauling them, only about 6% of trailers have any kind of telematic monitoring. And only 3% of those trucks have tire pressure monitoring services where you can monitor how's the load basically on those trucks. And that's a big opportunity and a big gap that needs to be addressed immediately. And it's hard because, again, like I said, the OEMs need to think about integrating their outbound logistics, kind of this cost mentality, into much more of an integrated supply chain strategy. Yeah, that is funny to think about how smart the cars have become and yet how much the vehicles carrying them haven't changed. Yeah. So there are really only so many logistics providers for automotive. It's pretty specialized. It is. There's only so many major OEMs in the world. Right. If there's going to be any change, and it seems like there is a need for it, Mm -hmm. who's going to drive that? Will it have to come from within the industry? I think it will. And if you look at some of the recent automotive industry conferences focusing on vehicle logistics, there's really positive trends, innovation that's happening, but it's still very fragmented. So for example, in Austria, in some of these smaller European markets, they have a truly a government-led vision for what's called Intelligent Transport Systems, or ITS. And they're looking at a kind of an industry plus government infrastructure sort of strategy for how do they have a more intelligent transport system that everyone can take advantage of. And they're driving standardization in those country markets. And what's called Vehicle to Infrastructure, or V2X, is kind of a subset of IoT or Internet of Things, which is how do you link and monitor dynamically any vehicle? It could be a truck, but it could also be a passenger vehicle as well, to leverage at a system level innovations around managing traffic, around managing safety, for example, routing hazardous materials, et cetera. So top down, you've got some governments that are making investments, and that's spurring collaboration. I think from the the logistics partners for the OEMs. There's specific investments going in either to the core infrastructure, particularly in rail, or maybe in sometimes in telematics. And in some cases, the OEMs themselves are flip-flopping back and forth between outsourcing and insourcing. So in some markets like Ford in the UK, they have their own dedicated outbound fleet for vehicle logistics, FCA in Italy as well. And they see a lot of gains around control and efficiencies and lead time utilization when they do that. But it's hard to make the case because so many of the OEMs have cost target profiles that kind of cause them to look not in a partnership model with their logistics partners, really still beating them up on cost. So I think the other challenge is that there's very little collaboration, I think, across the OEMs to actually agree on new standards. So it creates an opportunity for a company like GT Nexus to kind of help facilitate and more of an open network model where 
you can start bridging those gaps without having to agree on one standard be fully adopted. And you can start leveraging the ability to link any sensor information that can be pushed out. Maybe it's from five or six different telematics technologies or different way station points. So orchestrating information that's pretty well in place at any port, for example, or a compound, and then adding in where available vehicle monitoring into one network view is incredibly helpful to everyone involved because the logistics providers can not feel like they're being pressured or move ahead and not make an investment now and not worry that they're on the wrong path. And the OEMs can take advantage of those capabilities without having to feel like they have to build a dedicated or unique or proprietary system across every global market that they're in. Sure, yeah. I mean, when you think about trying to do it on your own, it does seem like it would be a big challenge. All the data is out there. It's being generated, whether it is from a logistics provider, whether it's from an OEM, even from some of their suppliers. It's really just a matter of everyone's looking at a small slice of the data. They're not really connecting to see the big picture of their industry. Right. And we've spent most of our discussion just talking about how do you monitor the actual transportation moves, right, for finished vehicles. But the bigger opportunity is actually going back to your original comment of why hasn't car buying been any different or why do I feel so disempowered and lack of options, even though there's a ton of inventory there, right? All those inherent ironies. The bigger opportunity is to get to better sensing of demand changes, right, at the dealers. Maybe it's individual orders, like you go in and give them custom order or just the pattern of what's happening, right? And then linking the scheduling that they have to drop those orders into manufacturing plants and look at opportunities to optimize and become more responsive so that they're maybe handling more flexible loads and routes that are faster to market, but there's a premium associated with a better customer experience by having that more integrated experience from dealers through the logistics partners, through the actual process of, at the OEM, of managing that you know global view of all demand. So I think there's going to be innovation that's going to happen, both from technology enablement, from consumer expectations are going to drive expectation changes. New vehicle formats, if you look at Tesla and their buying experience, if you look at different models around super flexible final mile vehicle logistics and routing, there's new providers that are kind of coming into the picture, they're like Uber of, you know, the automotive logistics industry. There's innovation happening around the edges, but I think it's going to take more competitive pressures in the market to drive what's really been an unaddressed problem or challenge for many, many years. Great. Well, thank you very much, Richard. It certainly does seem like a big challenge ahead for automakers, but also a lot of opportunity out there. Absolutely. Thank you, Matt. This is Supply Chain Radio. Thank you for listening. 